time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, it's the Vintage Truth Podcast, and I'm excited today because I'm going to talk about something that I think affects virtually every Christian at some point in his and her Christian experience, and that's the whole area of doubt. You know, we as Christians, we... We have doubts at times, don't we? Because our faith is not always a perfect little smooth road. Sometimes our faith can be messy. Sometimes there's, um, you know, beneath the surface, there's there's a lot of questions that go on. And, um, you know, doubts can, can shake our faith. They can really cause us to wonder if things are real. I mean, we ask ourselves questions sometimes. I mean, we're afraid to to really publicly talk about these things because we're afraid what people think. But, you know, sometimes we ask ourselves questions like, hey, is there really a God? I mean, does does he really exist? I mean, what about the Bible? I mean, is this whole Christian life thing, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus Christ? Is he worth it? Really? And so we, we have all these doubts. We, we doubt a lot about just the validity and the veracity of our faith sometimes. And and I think that's a healthy thing, personally. You know, we can run from our doubts. We can ignore them and try to, you know, stuff them down, or, or we can really face them. And there's an example in Scripture of a man who had some really, really serious doubts. And I'm not talking about doubting Thomas. I think Thomas's problem was he just wasn't where he was supposed to be, you know, after the resurrection. But that that's a whole other story. I'm talking about somebody who is even more committed to Christ than Thomas. I'm talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a rock. I mean, th- this man was, he was everything. I mean, he, he understood what it was all about. And the Bible tells us that he experienced some pretty serious doubts, not during his faith walk but at the end of it at the end of his quote-unquote Christian life it tells us that hey there are no perfect believers right you see when we strip off our Christian makeup and sometimes we look beneath the surface and what really is there is some confusion maybe some frustration some ignorance some doubt and sometimes we're not always comfortable with that you know we have doubts because sometimes we fail we have ongoing struggles. We have a roller coaster experience. We have unanswered prayer. We have dry seasons. We have unresolved issues, unanswered questions. And doubt, if not dealt with, can be devastating. It can weaken us. It can paralyze us. It can cause us to have fear. It can make us bitter. It can even threaten to cause us to lose our faith altogether. But since everybody experiences it, why not talk about it, right? So here we are, John the Baptist. Now, you remember John the Baptist, right? He was this this unique bird. <laughs> I mean, he was the guy that was called to walk around in camel hair and eat locusts and his lunch, from his lunchbox, and the guy never got a haircut. He was under this Nazarite vow, and he didn't cut his hair. So, you know, he was a wild-looking guy. I mean, I imagine him with just these dread-looking things, this beard, that was a, a breeding ground for all kind of microscopic organisms, you know, no deodorant. 
I mean, just cross between, I don't know, Rob Zombie and Billy Graham, okay? And he was called by God from the womb. I mean, in the womb. And this guy was, in fact, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. There's an argument against abortion right there. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't fill fetuses, okay? It doesn't fill tissues. It fills human beings. Anyway, John the Baptist became a counter cultural revolutionary, a rock of righteousness, a witnessing machine. He was a preacher of repentance in the desert. He's the one that baptized Jesus Christ. What an honor. He's the guy that stood up to King Herod and confronted him about his marriage to his brother's wife and told him he was living in adultery. And so, you know, Herod basically looked to his to his female companions there, his wife and his daughter, and said, what should we do with this guy? And they said, well, let, let's just cut his head off. That, that would solve things, wouldn't it? So here's John. He's in this dungeon, all right? And... After being arrested, he's down in this dungeon, and he begins to have these doubts. And Luke 7, in verse 18, says this. It says, And the disciples of John reported him about all these things. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for somebody else? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you the expected one? Wait a minute. (laughs) Before you were born. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, from the time you could open your mouth, you were talking about God. You were called by God. You you were the you were the forerunner of the Messiah. I mean, you were the voice crying in the wilderness. You're the you're that guy that said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You yourself said that you are not worthy to untie his sandal. You said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John, Jesus said about you that among those born of women, and by the way, that pretty much covers all people, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. So when you look at John's tombstone, he doesn't have one, but if he did, It would say this, here lies the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus, quote by Jesus. And so here he is, arrested, about to face the sword, and he's wondering, was I a fool? Was I just one big fool for following Jesus for proclaiming Jesus, for telling other people about Jesus Christ? Is he really the answer? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the Lamb of God? Was he worth my allegiance and all that sacrifice, all the things I gave up all my life, my all my life, for him? Was it worth it? You see, John was asking the hard questions 
because it's only when we get in that dark dungeon that we realize, hey, this, if this stuff ain't for real, I've wasted my life. Because Herod is playing for keeps here. This is not a game. This is real life stuff. And that's when all the pretense comes off. We're stripped bare of everything. The only thing that's left is what's between us and God. You see, John had some unmet expectations of Jesus. Even though he was John the Baptist, he still didn't know that Christ 100% was the one. And, And he began to have those doubts in the dungeon because he's thinking, well, if if Jesus is the one and I'm his forerunner, what am I doing here? <laughs> See, the events of John's life caused him to doubt whether or not God was really doing what he was supposed to do. Unmet expectations. So John is legitimately having a doubt. Now, how does God respond to our doubts? I mean, when we ask, we just ask the question, are are you really real? Is the Bible really the word? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is he really coming back for us? When we ask those questions and we just wonder if they're true or we, we seem to see our experience and the evidence of the world around us, we go, well, the evidence here says, I don't know. How does God respond to that? Does God rebuke us for our doubts? Does he chastise us? Does he condemn us for those doubts, those kinds of doubts? You know, there are times in the New Testament where Christ did rebuke his disciples for having little faith. But this was an evidentiary doubt. John just wanted to know, where's, is there enough evidence here? Is there evidence let me tell you what Jesus did not say. He did not say, John, get over it. He didn't say, John, grow up. He didn't say, John, you just need to have more faith. Look what he says in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. When the men came to Christ, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? They, they just quoted him verbatim. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he granted sight to many who were blind and he answered and said to them go and report to John what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them then he said and blessed is he who who keeps from stumbling over me you see, Jesus quote was quoting from the Old Testament there, from Isaiah. He was basically saying, John, what does your Bible tell you that the Messiah will do? John would know that. And then we have these eyewitnesses of people seeing Jesus do exactly what the Old Testament said the Messiah would eventually do. And so Jesus is like, all right, John, so what do you think about that? Here's your evidence. Your evidence is I'm fulfilling scripture. I'm fulfilling Bible prophecy. And if that doesn't convince you, nothing will. He said, John, 
I'm not going to rebuke you. Just open your eyes. Open your eyes and consider what I have done. Look at the evidence. Because ours is not a blind faith. He says, John, I change people. I give them hope. I give people hope that that religion rejects. He was saying that a changed life is one of the ultimate apologetics, especially if it's married to a scriptural prophecy. See, John was sent proof of Jesus' identity through the life experiences of those he had touched. That does tell you something about the power of a changed life, by the way. So John's disciples bring the message to him. John ultimately dies not in doubt, but with confidence. You say, Jeff, who who does really doubt? Does it just immature Christians? Are those the ones that doubt? No, no. Thinking Christians doubt. They're seekers. They're honest. They're growing. And they're real. You see, doubt is nothing more than faith in progress. It's faith becoming whole. That's what doubt really is. And if we pursue the answers to our doubts, then guess what? Our faith is ultimately strengthened. Now, we don't always get all the answers that we're seeking, but there are answers. My good friend Bobby Conway wrote a book called Doubting Towards Faith. That's a beautiful title. And in it, he talks about how we can turn our doubts into faith. That we tilt our doubts towards faith, not our doubts towards unbelief. And we seek answers. What does God say in his word? And see, that turns that, that doubt into a, and really into a strength. And we're able to to process life more accurately. I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked with over the years who've had serious doubts. You know, let me just say this. Sometimes when you're doubting something, you don't just get an answer and the doubt just is blown away. I mean, it just goes away because doubts sometimes attach themselves to our emotions. And they attach themselves to patterns of thought in our minds, not just to a thought in our minds. And so sometimes we will go through seasons of doubt where we're also seeking the answers to our doubts, but it's not a magic formula. There's no magic potion that we drink. And all of a sudden, all our doubts go away. Sometimes we have to grow out of our doubts. And we do that by consistently seeking God and seeking what his word says. Sometimes it means going to someone who is of a wiser stature than you are who's walked with God, who maybe is older, somebody who knows God, who knows the Bible, and they can give you some guidance on this thing. Sometimes it means picking up a book, like Doubting Towards Faith, and just say, hey, I want to get into this thing a little bit more because I'm plagued by a lot of doubts. Sometimes it means I need to focus my mind back on some healthy mindsets and perspectives and even healthier people to get my mind off of the fact that these people are always casting doubt on God. Put yourself in a place where you can grow, not in a place where your faith is always attacked. And so there are many ways to to kind of climb out of that dungeon of doubt. But you see, here's what happens. 
if you don't address your doubt, then that doubt becomes like a seed, a, a seed of poison. And it begins to infect other areas of your brain, other areas of your thinking. And you're really not able to process faith as well because you failed the first test. You see, you need to make sure that you don't let doubts go unchecked, but that you face them and that you seek out the answers to them because there are answers out there, especially as it relates to the foundations of the faith. And I don't know anything more fundamental than (laughs) who is Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what John was facing. So I think one of the things that we can take from John's example is, look, if a guy like John the Baptist, not at some point during his formative Christian experience, had serious doubts, but I'm talking he is on his deathbed. They're going to come get him. And they're going to drag him out and put his head on a block, and they're going to take his head off his body. They're going to kill him. So the question really is, if he had those kinds of doubts at the end of his life, I mean, what hope is there for you and me, right? There may be some doubts you'll have towards the end of your Christian experience. You know why? Because Satan is real. And, you know, we all want to know that our life has been lived for a purpose, but don't forget that some doubts come from Satan. Some doubts are, are not there to to cause you to want to look for the answers to those doubts. Some doubts are just there to sabotage your faith. And we need to recognize that when it happens. And I've had those doubts in my life. I mean, there have been times when, you know, being in ministry and in, in itinerant full-time ministry, speaking and writing and running our little nonprofit over the past I don't know, 19 years or so that I've wondered at times, you know, is this worth it? Is it worth all that we've done? Is it worth all that we've sacrificed? All that our family has gone through? It is it worth it? Am I a fool? Am I the biggest fool of all? See, those kinds of thoughts are right from Satan. They're right from the enemy. Because all he wants to do is he wants to accuse us and deceive us, and devour us, Scripture says. And so when those kinds of doubts come, that's when you need to immediately recognize where it's coming from and just allow that thought to be taken captive by Christ. And that's exactly why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, he says, For we, though we walk according to the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I wish they were sometimes. I wish that God just give us a Glock and we could do battle that way with the enemy. It's not how it works. But he says our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, those kinds of doubts are like these fortresses of lies and the bible says we need to destroy those things and every lofty you know pretend intellectual thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of christ he says you need to take those things captive and most of all don't ignore them you need to face them down you need to do battle with them 
and you need to allow Jesus Christ and the truth of his word to speak to that area and to continue to be a seeker even when you have those doubts. Hey, it's normal. We all face it, but we can all overcome it. Hey, I hope you have a great week. God bless you. I'll see you next time on the Vintage Truth Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.